So if you create this great community and this great culture, and you create learning a learning experience, and you have competitive compensation, you want to give people no reason to leave. And, and, and I think on top of that, I think you know if your business is working, because the people around you are so happy working there, they're literally grabbing the people that work, that the people they care about the most and they respect the most by the wrist and saying, hey, you got to come and work here. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin the show, I have something for you. The Rising Leader Handbook is going to be published in October of this year, but you don't have to wait. If you go to my website, www.markjsilverman.com, click the red button, you can get an advanced copy of the executive summary of the Rising Leader Handbook. In the same place, you can get a copy of Only Tens. Love to get your feedback. Now on with the show. So as you know, I'm working on the Rising Leader Handbook, and I have a team of people who are helping me bring that to life. My, my book coach and publisher, Patty Hall, Amber Vilhauer, are, are, are setting up you know, what, what I'm trying to do with my business, with my brand, everything I'm doing. And they're kind of my fairy godmothers of the next step of my life. And they made a suggestion of who I should have on my podcast next. So I did some research and I fell in love with this guy. Just the right philosophy, the way I want to be in the world, the way I want to teach people to be in the world. And I thought it was really just an excellent an excellent fit for the podcast. So officially, Mark B. Murphy is recognized as the number one financial security professional in New Jersey and number 15 nationwide by Forbes. Actually, Forbes just came out uh, last week. I'm now number three nationally, number one in New Jersey. So being on the Rising Leader podcast has elevated Mark up from 15 to three. So I'm glad we could help him get there. He's the chief executive officer of Northeast Private Client Group a national financial planning and wealth management firm. He's a highly sought after keynote, business strategist, author, speaker, podcast host. He talks more about life, business than he does about finance. Mark, thanks for being on the on, on the show. Mark, thank you. I, I want to tell you, you mentioned Amber and you mentioned Patty. That's clearly the A team. They are they are the best of the business. Uh, so and they only surround themselves with the best of the business. So it's kudos to you and thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. You know, it's interesting because again, having the right team in place, there's so many things I, I know how to coach, right? I can coach, I can teach, I can kind of write, but having the right team in place makes that more, you know, exponential. You have certain gifts, right? So, so you put, you know, you have a team before we even started today, you had a whole team of people setting up the podcast for you, right? Because you're not going to be working with the mics and the, and, and the headphones and all that stuff, right? Well, it's, that's you know, we were talking, you know, just just before you know we went to air, and I told you I'd, I'd work with Dan Sullivan for on and off for most of the last thirty years, and his famous, his most famous expression, he's got many of them, is, you know, Frank Sinatra doesn't move the pianos, he just comes in and sings, and so we've always built our life on, you know, focusing on my unique ability and and you know delegating everything else, right? So, don't usually just take a question off of someone's one sheet. 
like I do my own research and what am I, what am I interested in? But I was looking at your one sheet and you said, there was one line in there that I couldn't stop thinking about. And you said, it's ask Mark about the secret of growing your life and business and everything that's important to you. And I was curious about your philosophy going, you know, that would lead to a question like that. Richard Branson always says, they always say, do you have a business life or do you have a personal life? And I always say, I just have a life in that I just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next of what I love to do. And so I think the idea to me is turning 60 last year, the idea is I still have unlimited energy for a couple of reasons. One is because who, who doesn't have energy if you're doing all the things you love to do all the time? And the second thing is when, when you are authentically who you are, when you show up every day as yourself and not somebody else, it doesn't take a lot of energy to be you. It takes a lot of energy to be somebody else. And so, you know, when I live that kind of life, it's pretty, such gratitude is very, very fulfilling. So you blazed your own trail in a lot of ways. Most of my listeners work in like corporate America. They're, you know, they're VPs, they're C-suite executives, and they're kind of forced to be in a role. How do you help people figure out to be themselves, be more authentic, so they're not expending that energy? I just think that, you know, for me, and, and there's talked about three types of people. They talked about, there's a few books that have been out about this where they talk about there's three types of people. They talk about, and everybody uses a little bit different vernacular, but they talk about givers, they talk about takers, and they talk about matchers. Usually a giver is the lowest performer initially. In fact, most givers, some of the givers are the lowest performers. And initially the takers maybe get a little head start because they're not giving, they're taking. And a matcher is, you know, I'll help you because you can help me, or I'm not going to help you because you're of no value to me as a matcher. But I realized that if you if you create not a year or two, but decades of just giving and pouring into people, you've got an army of people that want to help you and help you personally, professionally, in every way possible. I also think that when you're in a in a role of growing a business, like most corporate executives are, they're trying to grow their business, they've got responsibility to hit numbers or to hit certain thresholds. A lot of people think they're growing a business, and I think you're not growing a business, you're growing people. And so the idea is that ultimately as a manager or as a leader or as an entrepreneur, or as a CEO, or just a leader of your division or your, your unit, it's about the investment in people. It's about, it's, it's not just in terms of giving them skill sets. I think it's mostly about mindset and about helping them protect their confidence. I think the number one job of a leader is to help their people protect their own confidence. I heard you say that in another podcast, that an entrepreneur's number one job is to protect their confidence. And I was really curious about that. I loved it. Because ultimately, I think when you lose your mojo, you, know, you, wanna, you don't want to have hubris. You want to be humble and confident. You know, confident that you can do the job, but humble that you don't believe your own BS. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, what you want people to do is, I think everybody, whether it be your child or whether it be your employee or whether it be your partner, they just want somebody who believes in them. They want somebody who says, I can see, Mark, who you are right now. And, I, and I'm true to what, what you are. I know who you are right now. But as I get to know you, I can see what your highest potential could be. And I want to I treat you like your, your highest, best purpose. And I want to believe in you so viscerally that you believe in yourself. And, and so that, the idea is that when you start to have teams like that around you, it's a game changer. And I think you create that synergy. You know, just like one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, I'd rather work with like half the people that I need who all have drunk of the Kool-Aid and have our core values than have more bodies who just don't get it.
because you ultimately when you create almost an unstoppable by, by team, and I, I think you create an unstoppable team by getting people who who can believe in themselves and have belief. You know, you see that in sports all the time where you see a team that's not nearly as talented as the team they've beaten can win when they're together and they work as a unit. You know, that's why David can beat Goliath. And so, so the idea is, I think that's, that's the essence of leadership. That's the essence of, of running a corporation and, and growing a business is by growing people. I, I think yeah, the 2019 uh, world champion uh, Washington Nationals, I think they specifically won the World Series because of Baby Shark. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but they 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 did they played Baby Shark every night because it was one of the players' walk up songs, and it was so infectious. They were, they were in last place uh, in May and June, and they wound up winning the World Series. But I think it's because of what you're talking about. They got their mojo. They they gelled as a team. They started to believe in themselves. Instead of looking at the season, they started looking at. They had to go one and zero. They just wanted to be one and zero every day, one and zero, right? How do you, how did you learn to be such a coach instead of instead of a business owner instead of a leader? You, you know, you sound very coachy. How did you learn that? I just I just always my best when I'm serving others, and I just like. To how do you see, know that? How do you know I, that? I just, I just think you you know you know who you are. I think I think part of of maturing and part of getting you know getting out of my teens and my twenties and now into my sixties. You get to know who you are, and I always feel my most empowered when I'm serving others. When I, at this point in my life, I just want to change the lives positively of as many people as I can, and and do that from a real genuine basis, not because of something that I expect to get back, but the mitzvah is in the giving, and I just want to continue to to give. And I'm not really attached to the outcome in terms of getting something back. I'm just what I can do to to improve other people's lives. And and the great th- gift you get about that is. It's about the multiplier effect, meaning if, if you and I could just do something together, we're only two people. But if we can create an army of people that can help transform people, well, we've made a really good impact on the world and I think in a legacy. And I think that's something that I'm proud of and something I'd really like to continue to foster and deliver. So interesting. I always thought of myself as cheating in my career because so many people have helped me. Like people have just been in my corner and helped me year over year. My entire business is referrals. And what I finally figured out was by giving, by being there for people, right? I've created an army of stark raving Mark J. Silverman fans. And I, I always, up until this conversation just now, you just saying that I just had the light bulb just went off that, that actually that's not cheating actually playing the game properly is, is I've given so much in the world. How do you teach? Like, so, so you have teams of people and you have takers, you have givers and you have matchers. So the givers are your kindred spirits. You know, you probably identify with them, the matchers, you know, okay, you can work with them. How do you help people move over? Cause I'm sure that's the culture you want in your organization. How do you help people move over to understand that? And I think, you know, I think you're probably the executive coach for the overwhelming majority of people, but not for everybody. I'm not the right key business strategist, critical thinker, financial advisor for everybody. And so the thing I, one of, one of the things I did, this is probably about 10 or 12 years ago, is I tried to take a look at our top 50 clients. And I said, you know, what I'd really like to do is clone those 50 clients as we grew our business. And I started to get some, some data points that were sort of similar with not everybody, but a good percentage of them. I, you know, they were generally big thinkers. They were generally very loyal. They generally appreciate our expertise. 
I probably had about seven or eight or nine or 10 things that were coming up on a routine basis in terms of, of they were not transactional, they were transformational in their, in their relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot of commonality there. And I sort of, so, so the first lesson I learned was, okay, this, this seems to be a common theme, but I couldn't put two and two together. And then you, you talked about a light bulb going on. About a year or two later, light bulb went on when I said, the people that I do the best with, all of those characteristics, are, that's who I am. And it was about the law of attraction. I was attracting the people who wanted the same things in life that I did. You know, you know, I want to be, I'm highly ethical, ethical in my business. I want moral, ethical, legal people. So people that were cutting corners or shady or doing things were not, just would not participate in that. You know, one of the lessons I learned is you know, we, we handled a lot of celebrities and athletes for a while. And as I got into that world, we turned down some business. And I'll tell you a, f- a famous story. I won't mention the name of the band because you know they've they've everybody would know it. You probably you probably have all their you know albums, records, or uh, or, or songs. But the idea is that I sat down and this group said to me, "Hey, we've we'd like to tour a lot less because we're now getting older. We've had all these number one hits, et cetera, et cetera. Can you put together a plan to help us?" And I put together a plan, and they said, "This is great. I want you to show it to our manager." And I showed it to the manager, and the manager said, "Yeah, this is a great plan, but it's not going to work." And I said, "Well, well, why is that?" And they said, "Because I'm only 40 years old." And there's 30 other families here that depend on these guys to travel and tour 160 nights a year. And so I want you to I want you to teach them to be irresponsible with the money, use the private jet, and make sure they're always a rat on a treadmill. And I said, peace out. That's not how we play the game. You know, I've been asked to do a lot of things that I thought were not ethical. And so I'd step away from that. I'm not going to be attracted to those people. And and the idea is that ultimately, when you do the right thing, and the lesson I learned was there was a small accounting firm, relatively speaking, in the world, you know, three-partner firm, when I was probably about 24 years old, and I got an opportunity to talk to them. I was hungry for the business. I did, you know, I needed the money back then. I was just starting. And um, this gentleman gave me an opportunity to do business with one of his clients. And I did the analysis of the guy's portfolio, his insurance, his entire financial world. And I said to them, I think the people who are working with them did a very competent job. I said, might there be a few things I tweak where we could do a little bit better on? But I think all in all, I thought they did a very, very good job and they should keep what they have. And the guy said to me, I've been in business for 30 years. I've met with a lot of financial advisors. I've never heard that before. You know, everybody told me whatever they had was terrible. And what I said they had was great. And just doing the right thing over the next 10 plus years, he gave me 250 corporate clients. So there's, you know, I was an expression, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. And so that always comes back to you. And I think what you're experiencing and sort of what I'm experiencing is that all of the great things that are happening in our life in terms of people pouring in our life have nothing to do with what we did in 2023. Maybe even in the last five or 10 years, it was the stuff and the seeds we laid over the last 30 plus years that are all coming bare to fruit. And you just have to be patient and have belief that if you do the right thing, enough good things are going to come back to you in spades and they always do. And I think that's, that's getting people to believe that doing the right thing is always, is always the most profitable over time. I just joined a business club that gives out the go-giver as a welcome gift. That's one of the books I was referring to in terms right? of, yes. The go-giver. But that goes back to energy again. You just said that I do business with people who are like me, have my values, and that, that goes to being yourself. And when I have a client who is a mismatch, it is such a drain on my energy 
don't look forward to the calls. I, I have to recover. We have to recover after the calls, all that stuff. When I have clients who are in my wheelhouse and are the kind of people who are synergistic with me, I don't even, I don't work a day in my life, right? I can do it all day, every day. So what you're saying is another secret is the more you can be yourself, the less energy you have to expend, the more you're truthful and honest and all that less energy you expend. And then if you, if you work with people who are synergistic, the less energy you have to spend. I think that, I think that's a great investment on your, on your time dollar. The other thing also it does is I think, I think you talk about a couple things that, that everybody I think who's watching this should take a look at is I think you should be a voracious reader. I think the people that I choose to spend time with that I find the most interesting are the people that are the, the most uh, voracious readers. And so reading and learning and, and always in you know constant, never-ending improvement. Second thing is when you start to build an army of people around you and you build a great, great, great resource of people around you because you're, you're hanging around the right type of people, that just creates that entrepreneurial synergy. In fact, you know, one of the things I just, what I, I figured out about 35 years ago is I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And so basically we've created a business where I've, I've wanted to partner with people that wanted to be a hero to the same, wanted to be a hero to people that wanted to have an entrepreneurial mindset. And immediately people see that synergy where, where they can only get that experience by working with us. You know, I don't want a level playing field. I don't want to run straight downhill, which I used to say. I want to play in a competition-free zone where the only place that person can get that experience is by working with us. And I want to help our clients have the same thing. I want to make sure the only place that patient, customer, or client can, can find that experience is working with our client. I, yeah, I heard you say one of the best lines I've ever heard about entrepreneurship. It says people buy businesses uh, and most often they buy themselves another job rather than become entrepreneurial, right? And, and you said entrepreneurs hire CEOs, which I'm from sending to one of my clients immediately because I thought that was so brilliant. But you also say that entrepreneurship is a mindset. So most of the people who listen to this podcast work within companies. What's the, what is an entrepreneurial mindset? There's clearly about emotional fitness. We talked about protecting your confidence. You said emotional fitness? Emotional fitness. It's all about emotional fitness and mindset. So the idea is you have to be able to control what you can control. So, so the mindset you always happen to have is, is that I don't have rose-colored glasses or I don't have, you know, I'm not Pollyannish, but my mind immediately goes to when there, when something bad happens, my mind immediately goes to what's great about that. And try to find an opportunity to find out what's great. Like, for so example, so uh, one of my kids came to me the other day and said their their boyfriend broke up with him. So I've said, what's great about that is now you'll free the time. You're spending a lot of time with them. You'll now have a lot of time to pursue a lot of things you weren't pursuing and to find somebody who wants to be with you. I'm not saying you shouldn't mourn the relationship for a day or two, but let's not. I've heard so that great about that. Or, or, or I think a mindset of that bold is a superpower. As my friend Fred Joyle says, bold is a superpower. And so the idea is we expect people to make mistakes. So people that work for me and people that work for the people watching your podcast, they're going to make mistakes. You could probably do it better if you're the leader of the organization. But, but I think people in general are very forgiving. So what we ask, all I ask the people to do is, hey, if you make a mistake, let's apologize. Let's clean up our mess, not make an excuse. And let's make sure it never happens again. And if you got to make a mistake, let's make it a small mistake, not a big mistake. But the idea is that I think everybody is making mistakes. I make, I make mistakes every day and I try not to make them. Things happen. And I think you want to be forgiving 
when you're not forgiving is when people kind of lie about it and cover up or point the finger at somebody else or make you know blaming, complaining excuses. I think if, if people trust you and they know what's there, they want to help you and they root for you. And, and vulnerability, I think, for a lot of corporate officers and, and executives is they think vulnerability is a weakness, where I think if you use vulnerability, it's a great strength. Being vulnerable is not weak. It's strong. Can you give me an example? Because you, you, you like if I first brush with you, I would say not a vulnerable guy. Sorry, <laughs> but I, like that wouldn't be the first thing I say to uh, think of. Think of well, well vulnerable. That, that you, first, of all, I believe that you start to believe your own bullshit. The world has a way of telling you're not all that. So I think you start by saying I don't have all the answers. You know, you know just a just somebody who's you know you know who's who's earnest and, and wants to show up and wants to work and hopefully is reasonably smart. But I think there's a vulnerability in in being able to admit your, admit your mistake. I think like a lot of things we're seeing in our society that people get so dug in potentially politically with a position that even when they discover it's wrong, instead of saying, you know what, based on the information we had at that time, this is what I thought. And now I think this, they double down or triple down on wrong information. You know, nobody's willing to what happens, you know, uh, really has happened because there it's too, there's too much money to be made or too much reputation to be lost or other things. And I think when people are, are truly vulnerable, it also creates an environment of trust, transparency, and openness for a team to really function properly. You know, that, and that always comes from the leader. You know, it's always, you know, I used to think core values was some kind of consultant term. Right. But ultimately, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that if people have my core values in my organization, they're going to be very, very successful in an organization. And if people don't have our core values, they're going to be miserable failures. So, you know, it always confounded me how how people who I thought were going to be amazing, they were going to knock the cover off the ball, they were going to transform our business, failed. And I realized very clearly it's because they didn't have our core values. They did not believe what, what I believed, what the organization believed. And so they're doomed to fail. And again, the other thing too is I'm also not saying you can you can always turn a you know lemons into a lemonade, but I also have gotten clear not only should they have my core values, but I think I always hire for talent. And for skill, because you can teach those hard, you are for talent rather, because you can teach the hard skills. You know, I always look for things that you can't teach. Who's your basketball fan and season ticket holder to Indiana? That's my, that's my happy place. And so I think that, you know, we've always had some, we've always had great kids in Indiana, you know, in terms of really, you know, by, by and large, really great human beings as kids that, that we've recruited historically to Indiana basketball. But I now think we have a team and we're recruiting people that not only are great kids, but have talent. You can't, you can't teach seven feet one. You can't teach, you know, somebody that could jump out of the gym. You can't teach somebody that's got, you know, some fine, some skills and talents that people don't have athleticism uh, or speed or that kind of thing. And I think it's the same thing in business. If you get people with both core values and talent and you put that together, that's a, that's, that's, that's a winning formula. What's the most important thing in the world to you? Um, what I think about every day is I think what most people would say. I think about Lisa, my my fiance, my soon to be wife. I think about my five kids. We've got a blended family, but I but I, I uh, just want to. That's what we think about all the time. But I think if you're, I think for most people that's their why. But I think for me, my my why is that I just you know, I think you'll hear people overuse the term gratitude, but the idea is I'm always. I'm always just so appreciative of having this great life. You know, I grew up dumb and broke and suffered in New York and all of the amazing things that have happened to me, I still have great appreciation for the good things that happened. I don't take that for granted. 
you know, I don't, you know, sometimes I think that you, uh, that you know, I mentioned hubris before. I think hubris is the ruination of people who have it. And I think, I think for a lot of people that have gotten, had a lot of success in many ways, they've taken a lot of the joy out of life because they've, they've changed. They've changed in not, not great ways. They look in the mirror every day and love what they see. They've, they've, they fall in love with their own themselves. And I think the idea to me is I think authenticity is, is, is the most important thing that, you know, that you get to a certain point and it's about QTL. It's about quality time left on the planet. And you want to make that, that count. You want to make every day count by doing the things you think are the most purposeful. I will say, I will say turning 60 really, really brought that home. Like in my fifties, I could make believe I had a ton of time left. As soon as I turned 60, it was very clear. There's shit I want to do. Time to do it. Right. And, and I never, never thought that turning 60, I thought I would be like quieting down and slowing down. And I'm like roaring into my sixties with so much energy and so much verve to create before I don't have the energy or time to do that. So it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to turn 60 and have a fiance and you know, your kid's doing well. You, you know what, you know, you know, the other thing you, you also think about when you're, if you're dealing with a lot of people that are leaders in corporate organizations, besides hiring talent for skill, you know, there's, there's inflation in the economy. There's, there's still a lot of job pressure, meaning there's a lot of, there's a, there's a low unemployment. And I think you're finding people's thinking that money is the only issue that keeps people working. You know, for me to keep Mark happy, I've got to keep paying him more and more and more. And I'm not saying money is not an issue. But you'll also find that for a couple of things, a couple of things I think are even more important than money. And, and the first thing I think is more important than money is if you can have your people learning and growing. People never want to leave a place where they're learning and growing. I think a lot of times when people leave, it's because they're not being challenged anymore. They've got the job down to a science and they're a little bit bored at what they're doing and they're not in creation fascination mode. So I think as a leader, you know, if a leader is watching this corporate executive and leaders watching this podcast, that'd be the first thing is everybody in creation fascination mode, learning and growing. The second thing is you also want to have people where you want to create where culture I think is so important is people can leave a job mark but they can't leave a community. So I always kind of know when somebody is disenfranchised with our business, I make sure it happens very rarely, but I will know before they do. It doesn't matter what they say. I know because maybe they turned down a, an opportunity for growth or improvement or promotion. Uh, maybe they, uh, they used to go out to lunch with people every day and now they're going out to lunch by themselves and maybe coming back a little late. Maybe they're not playing in the Super Bowl pool this, pool this year. You know, it's because they're, they're starting to unplug from the community that we've created. So if you create this great community and this great culture and you create learning a learning experience and you have competitive compensation, you want to give people no reason to leave. And, and, and I think on top of that, I think, you know, if your business is working because the people around you are so happy working there, they're literally grabbing the people that work, that the people they care about the most and they respect the most by the wrist and saying, hey, you got to come and work here. Right. And the other thing is the best meeting I had, probably as good a meeting as I've ever had in my entire life, is I was giving a speech in front of about 75 business owners who were selling their business very early this year. And I had somebody who came, a young man who was about 29 years old. He started, started working for us literally this past week. And he came to this meeting, not because he had a business to sell, but because he wanted to meet us and potentially work for our firm because he had heard the work that was there. The people, the word is getting out that you no longer want to be the hunter. You want to be the hunted. 
You're not looking to attract the talent. The talent is coming to you. And I think you do that, you know you got your culture right, and you know you got people in creation fascination mode, and you're also paying competitively. I, you know, I interviewed Gary Ridge, the former CEO of WD40, and he talked about culture. And he talked about you know, the high points they got at WD40 for working there, that, that they had very low turnover. People loved working there. And I'm like, this is a spray that, that you know, undoes squeaks. So it, it's not really like you don't have to be doing the most fascinating work known to man when you create a culture and a community. As you said, people leave jobs. It's harder to leave a community. And, and that to me was the starkest example of that right? Because you're not changing the world with WD-40. But together, they felt like they were changing the world. I'm sure you do this as a coach. But the way I feel it, and everybody can use the vernacular of the words they have. But I think what people are looking for is they're looking for wealth. They're looking for health. They're looking for love or they're looking for purpose in their life. Maybe you'd use different words. Maybe you'd add words or take words. And away. different words at different times too. But use those, I'm use those four just for, for luster of purposes. But I do think to have to achieve unique results. I think you also have to be okay with having one or more of them out of whack for a temporary period of time. But if they're out of whack for, for an extended period of time, you're not going to have the best life or a complete life. You know, and I think a lot of people have had these conversations with themselves that, you know, for me to have wealth, I have to give up health. Or for me to have one, I have to give up uh, love, or I have to give up purpose and have to give up one or more to have the others. And I'm saying that with a great coach like you, you don't have to give them all up, although you have to be okay for temporary periods of time for it to be out of whack, to be able to achieve extraordinary results. That is, that is the whole point of everything I do. And the whole point of this podcast is uh, that none of it matters if it's all out of whack. It just doesn't matter. You're a rich, miserable person, or you're a rich, unhealthy person, or whatever. None of it matters if you're not if you're not looking at everything holistically. And that's the reason why I wanted you on the podcast because you talk about that, right? That that you know, you talk about money, but you talk about you're not you're not wealthy and you're not rich if you're not taking care of all these other things. And then you talk about mindset, things like this, like you know, we talk like NFL players. We talk to they've spent their entire life working in football, as an example. Or, or you have a, a CEO that's had this great epic career and they retired 55 or 57 or 60. And they've had this epic career. They had 52,000 people. so young now. Now and now that's so young. <laughs> but, or, some, or some number there where you've got. And so the, the, the things I think that, that are the mindsets is, A, your future has to, which is Sullivan, your future has to always be bigger than your past. But the thing is, there's never any finish. Part of the mindset is in life, there's never any finish lines. There's only milestones. So like you have somebody who sold their business for $200 million and that was their goal. But to them, that became a finish line and the rest of their life was playing out the string or they played in the NFL and the highlight was being a four-time all-pro and you're 32 years old. If you live another 50 years, this was it. This was the highlight of your life playing football or, or the highlight of your life. Maybe you weren't a professional athlete was because you were captain of the high school football team that you peaked at 17. <laughs> you know, ultimately it's about mindset being in those, in those other things. And and playing, I think, your own game. I mean, we have to play the rules. There are certain rules you have to fi fi you know, follow in polite society or you know, just to keep yourselves you know, you know, out of jail and 
and with friends and you know and, and you know there, there are some certain things you have to do but i think also at the same time you want to play your own game you want to seat at the table but you'd be better off with a with building your own table those are some of the some of the things the other thing i also think is that when i'm coaching my employees one of the other rules we also have is there is no blaming no complaining no excuses so ultimately you know i'll have people in there and they want to tell me about how a client is wrong and i said let me just assume that you're correct that the client is wrong so you've got two choices we can either sit here for the next half hour and you can convince me how the client was wrong or we can go fix the problem and create a create a create a win-win solution which what do you want to do what should we what's a better use of our time here and i think you know so many so many folks are so many folks are are not focusing on the right things they're not seeing opportunity in things you know i, I think that that for a lot of companies for instance whether you be a, a, an entrepreneurial company or you be a corporate bigger corporate company if this recession occurs which i think is going to occur my advice to everybody on this podcast is to agree not to participate in this recession <laughs> i want to give you the permission to do that but i also want to be give you the permission is that people's behavior is going to change fundamentally they're going to go in the fetal position they're going to stop spending they're going to be stop investing and what i'm telling you is that the great empires and companies are built not during the boom times but during recessions and so if you're a forward thinking person if you're somebody who's ready to strap it on you should welcome this recession if it comes because there'll be a lot less competition you'll be able to buy a lot of things that aren't for sale right now at, at pennies on the dollar and there'll be talent that will be available that's not available right now and you're licking your chops about something that could happen. And so that would be something like a recession where most people think it's a bad thing. It probably is a bad thing. And I wish nothing bad on anyone. I only wish good things for people. But if the inevitability of things come, what do we need to do to position ourselves to take advantage of it? I mean, COVID was the perfect example. The good companies use COVID to turbocharge their growth and their wealth. And the mediocre and poor companies use COVID as an excuse why everything that occurred didn't occur for them. Yeah, it's it, it's hard. That goes that goes back to your philosophy when something happens is how can how is this good? How can I make this good? And my version of that is how is this when when I when tragedy strikes or when something bad happens, my advice is always how how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? That's that's how I try and turn things around. How can I make this thing catapult me to success? You know, Mark, your your philosophy and your your demeanor and your way of being in the world is so refreshing and so wonderful. I'm so congratulations on getting married again. I think that's quite beautiful. What who is your ideal client for for your for your business? As I said, I gave some of the characteristics early on, but I generally I generally like people that are good people. I like people that want to be in a relationship, a transformational relationship, not a transactional relationship. And and I'm looking for people that are are. You know, as I said, I think my best skill is I like to think of myself as a very good listener and a very active listener. And I think whoever asks the best questions wins. And so I'm looking for I'm looking for people that that want to do better. You know, I, I think the one thing I know about elite people, there's only one thing I see in common with them, is they always want to be better. They don't do it for the money, they don't do it for the fame or for the glory. They do it because there's something burning inside them that they want to be better. I want to create a company every year that puts last year's company out of business. And I think it's the same thing. I just want to, and I just want to work with people. It'll be fun. We can have a great relationship with, and want to, you know, I think we're known sort of Mark as the guys that help people create multi-generational wealth. And what we're starting to be known in the ultra affluent marketplace is 
you know, that that most people know that 90% of families' wealth is wiped out by the third generation, by the end of the third generation. So we're also now developing an expertise at making sure that uh, our clients are in the 10%, not the 90%. But I mean, I think if there's people that really have an honest desire to create multi-generational wealth, whether they're in corporate America or, or, or have owned their own business, those are the kind of folks we want to work with. Nice. We're going to put the links to to your business and, and all the wonderful stuff that you put out in the world in your books. But if people want more of you, how do they get in touch with you? They can reach us reach us at northeastprivateclientgroup.com or markbmurphy.com. And all I can tell you is I, I, uh, I found a brother from another mother. And believe me, we could have been separated at birth. I remember meeting somebody who I thought had the same, almost identical outlook on life as I do. And just... It just just refreshing. So uh, talk to somebody who uh, who believes what I believe. So thank you for being you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And everybody else, I really appreciate you hanging out. Your time and attention is precious to me. If you want to create multi-generational wealth, which is the most attractive thing I've heard today, you know, give give Mark's company a call. And for you, have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.